Amen. We're looking at a sermon series in the book of Daniel called Faith in the Face of Adversity. Daniel 4 is where we are. I hope you have your own copy of the scripture. If not, most of the verses are going to be on the screen that we're going to be covering. We're going to cover the whole fourth chapter. We're not going to read it all sequentially, but we're going to read most of it as we walk through the sermon together. And as we begin, uh, we're looking at how God uh, transforms a tyrant. King Nebuchadnezzar is the main character in chapter 4. He speaks himself. This powerful, prosperous king, maybe one of the most powerful and prosperous in the history of the world. God takes him to his knees. And more than that, he takes him out back to the, the, the back 40, to the pasture, eats grass like a cow. We're going to get to that point part in just a moment. But he shows him who is the king of the universe, and it's not Nebuchadnezzar. That's a message we all, I think, need to hear. What will God do? What extent will he go to to hear that message in your life? So you'll hear that message. How will God get your attention? That's really what we're looking at today is how we can learn from the transformation of Nebuchadnezzar so that we can change. I don't know about you, but I'm really preaching to myself. There's some things in me that need changing. And I think if you would ask those people who are around you, who love you, who know you, they would say there are a few things about you that need changing too. They could help you identify those things. And may, In fact, why don't we just turn? No, let's don't do that. But there are some things in all of us that need to be changed because here's God's goal for us. In Romans uh, 8, 29, it tells us God's goal is for you and I to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. Now, let's get a show of hands. Anybody there yet? Anybody finished yet? Anybody conformed to the image of Jesus Christ yet? So there's work to be done, right? There's change to be made, changes to be made. And so God in His Spirit can do those things in us. It's an inside job. I want you to know, first and foremost, it's not be you trying harder. It's not you being more disciplined. It's not you pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. It's not any of those kind of self-will, motivational kind of changes. Now, some of those things may need to happen. But real change... Lasting change, as we just got through singing about, happens by the grace of God. So you need the power of God and the Spirit of God living in you. We'll talk about that today. If you don't have that, you need that. Paul writes about how we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. The Phillips translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's where most of us are. We're squeezed into the culture uh, we live in all the time. And, and yet Paul writes, and I want you to hear it from the message paraphrase about this in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. And Paul says it this way, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. 
you'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. You'll know His will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. I want you to see one other verse that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18 about this whole experience of transformation and change. He says this, As God's Spirit works within us, we are being transformed to become, like God's goal for us is, to become like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord. Would you, in your mind, just circle that? Being transformed. We're in the process right here, right now, of being transformed as God's Spirit would work in us. God is doing something in us if we will cooperate with Him to change us. Now, here's what I want us to do as we begin. I want you to think about the things that you would change about yourself. What one thing, if you could change one thing, anything would you change about yourself right now? It might, might be something with your uh, appearance. You may do something with your hair or color that. Or, or you may do something with your weight. If you're like me, the first thing you need to do about your weight is you need to get rid of all the junk food in your house. Even that private stash. You know where it is. And you need to get rid of that stuff so you can start eating right. It might be something, I can't do anything about this. I'm not going to have plastic surgery. I know you wish I would, but my nose. You see how big that thing is? Now, some of you are just going to focus on my nose the rest of the sermon. I know how you are. But I would change that about myself. It it might be appearance. But more than that, it would be my attitude about things. I don't know about you, but there are times I'm, I'm pessimistic, I'm confused, I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm even a little bitter. I don't want that in me. You have any of that in you that you don't want in you? How about your attention? Maybe you would change your focus. You're too self-centered and self-focused and you're too Think about this. How would you feel in the blank? I blame too much. I eat too much. I think too much. I worry too much. I drink too much. I shop too much. I talk too much. I complain too much. I want too much. I am mean too much. And that's just my list. What's yours? No, I don't drink
Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. This is second dream, remember? His first one. Now this second one is, <laughs> it's crazy. There's some, there's some great drama in the book of Daniel. I hope you're reading that along with us. And if you're not, this is great uh, literature, but it's more than literature. It's God's Word is not just given to us for our information. It's given to us for our transformation. And if we'll let, allow this to go deep, it will change us. So it starts here in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. In chapter 3, all those races and languages and nation, he was wanting to bow down to the idol. Remember, bow down to that, that statue he had created probably of himself. And he says this now. There's something different about him from the very beginning of this chapter, and we're going to get, find out why he's going to kind of have a flashback moment in this dream that we're going to look at in, in Daniel's interpretation. But he says, peace and prosperity to you. Does that sound like a tyrant? No, he's wishing them abundant prosperity. I want you to... All I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders, the miracles, the Most High God has performed for me. It's personal now. It's not just the, He's not just the God of Daniel, or not just the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we saw in chapters 2 and 3. He has now done something in and for the great king himself. Has he for you? Has he changed you? Are you different, really? Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or do you need to be different? Because Jesus is your king. How great are His signs and how powerful His wonders, verse 3. His kingdom will last forever. And His rule through all generations. To this point, Nebuchadnezzar wanted His kingdom to last forever. And His rule to endure through all generations. Don't we? Don't we want to be the, the king of our own lives? Don't we want to make our own call, uh, calls, call our own shots? Don't we want to be in charge God is reminding Nebuchadnezzar he's not the king of the universe. And that's a lesson I need to know and learn and remember and apply all the time. I'm not the king of my universe, and neither are you. There are so many things in this world, <laughs> this pandemic shows us, that are out of our control. And they always have been. But they're not out of his. And so we learn to trust in His 
kingdom and his rule for all generations. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. I was living at ease and I was prospering. I, everything was good in my house. I was at peace. There were no other kingdoms to, to rule. There was no threats to my leadership. I was functioning in high performance level in the my capacity as the king. And so I'm kicked back in my easy chair, just chilling in my living room in the palace. It doesn't say it exactly that way, but that's what he's doing. It's easy for him. And we've been to those spots where things in life was comfortable. Have we not? And then something happens. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it was a dream. Verse 5. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. And I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in bed. Daniel's going to tell us about those in verse 18 in just a moment. But just remember this, that that God revealed to him the things that needed to change. And God will do the same for you. Does God still speak to us in our day? God doesn't always speak to us in dreams and visions. If you've not had a dream or a vision, you're okay. Let me, let me just talk to you, though, for a minute before we go on in this passage in chapter 4 about how God speaks today. God speaks to us in circumstances. Oh, isn't he kind of got a megaphone going right now? Get things right through the circumstances of life right now. Or God speaks to us through prayer. Maybe you've been praying about a situation and you've been in that season of prayer or whatever and God just lays somebody on your heart or God lays something on your heart. God speaks to our hearts in prayer. He still talks that way. And, and God speaks to us through people. For Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be Daniel and God is going to help him understand, and we'll see that in just a second. That's actually going to be this, the second point. Don't get ahead of me yet, all right? I'll try not to get ahead of myself. And, and God speaks through godly people, spirit-filled people, spirit-led people that we know we can trust, our, our life group leaders, our pastor, our, our parents, our, some people that we have come to, to know and come in contact with, and God Still does that. That's why we do what we do. I hope he speaks through people. I hope he speaks through me, through his word every week, or we're wasting our time, are we not? So when we think about how God speaks, those three ways, circumstances and, and prayer, and people are all right on target as long as they line up with the, the key way that God speaks to us today. His word. All of those things have to line up. Any dream or vision that you might have has to line up with His Word. Don't tell me ever that God said this to you if God clearly states in His Word. That's not true. From time to time, people will say, God told me I needed to do this. And I, I want to say, now, your circumstance may say that. And and the the people in your life may be telling you that's the wise thing to do, but God's word is clear on that matter. It all has to line up with his word. So that's why we invest so much time we, in, in his word in life groups, and that's why we invest so much time in his word in, in this place. We prepare so that we know his word, so that we know what he wants, how he's speaking to us. 
because we want to yield ourselves to Him and His leadership and His role because we know we've made a mess of it ourselves. Have we not? Look around. Not just around here, but around our, our nation and our, our country and our lives. We know when we've taken the reins and screwed up, messed up. So how do we yield again? Second thing I want you to see here is others help us understand the changes that need to be made. All right? Look how Daniel helps. In this instance, in verse 19, or 18, after Nebuchadnezzar relates his dream, and we're going to review that in Daniel's interpretation right now. In verse 18, Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, that was, that's his Babylonian name. That was the dream that I, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means. Remember the king had called in all his wise men again. And uh, at the very end of that, Daniel comes in and begins to tell him. And the king is excited because in verse 8 and 9, he knows that Daniel has the Spirit of God in him. He relates it that way. The Spirit of the holy gods is in him. That's the only way that... The pagan Nebuchadnezzar can understand what's going on. That He had seen Daniel's integrity. He had seen Daniel's courage. He had seen Daniel's character. And now he knows that something is different about this young man. Now, we're looking at 30 years after that first dream. So he's almost 50 now. Maybe 50. And yet he comes into this, this situation and, and he speaks truth to the king. Notice what, what happens. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods lives in you in verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Now, all these other wise men didn't want to tell the king what the dream mean, meant. They either didn't know what it meant or they, they wouldn't tell him because it was bad news for the king. Do you have anybody in your life that speaks truth into your life and tells you not just what you want to hear all the time, but what you need to hear? Because I'm convinced that transformation happens. Change happens in our lives when we listen to spiritual folks, spiritual coaches or, or pastors or, or teachers or friends or, or people that we have asked us, asked to hold us accountable, that we trust. And so that's who Daniel is. And it, when people speak the truth, it transforms us. You think about what we're going through. If we knew the truth, we'd make the changes we needed to make, I, I believe. We don't know what, what's going on half the time. We don't know who to trust. We don't know what sources of information to trust. It is a crazy world we live in, but we know this. The truth sets us free. And the truth is not just some abstract concept. The truth is a person. He says, I am the way, the 
what? The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. We know him. His name is? I'm glad you've identified him. You know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, you're going to be walking in bondage. You're, going to be, you're not going to be able to make the changes you need because you don't have the power to make them. You want to, but you can't sustain that because you don't have the power to sustain that. But Daniel is the one who helps Belteshazzar understand his dream and understand what God is saying to him, and he speaks the truth, and we're to do that. Ephesians 4 tells us to speak the truth in love, 4.14. 415. And how do we know we're speaking the truth in love? Because it always benefits the other person more than it benefits us. We can speak the truth and we want them to change, but we do it for our benefit. But when we speak the truth in love, we do it for their benefit. And that's what Daniel's doing. He doesn't want to tell the king bad news. He likes King Nebuchadnezzar by this point. He is a loyal servant to the king. And all the other wise men don't want to tell the king because they're afraid of the king. Daniel doesn't want to tell him because he knows that the truth sometimes hurts. We know that if we really care about people, that we will share the truth when we can, even if it's confrontational. That's hard. And it was hard for Daniel then. But a change is going to happen. Truth's got to be revealed. And people who love us, we want to hear it from them, don't we? And not other message like Nebuchadnezzar is going to ultimately uh, find out. So Belteshazzar, at the end of the the king said to Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and, and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the, the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw, this is his dream, was growing very tall and strong, reaching into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves on it. He was prospering. That means he was growing green. That literally means uh, that the tree was flourishing and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. He's the ruler of the free world, the ruler of the inhabited world. Wild animals lived in its shade, talking about this tree, and birds nested in its branches. And that tree, your majesty, is you. Not bad news yet. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heavens and your rule to the ends of the earth. And then you saw a messenger... And a a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. Did you notice the tree became a hymn? The it became a hymn because he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar now. And this is what the, the dream means. Your majesty and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. And you will be drenched with dew of he- the dew of heaven in seven periods of time 
will pass while you live this way until you learn the lesson you need to learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. Nebuchadnezzar, you're not the king. You're of the universe. The Most High God is. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. And this is another thing that a spiritual coach will do, and this is what Daniel does for him, and this is what we see all through the Scripture as Joshua does it, or as Moses does it for Joshua, or Elijah does it for Elisha, or Jesus does it for his disciples, or Paul does it for Timothy. We will look at a, a verse in just a moment, how we got to be doing the same kind of thing, passing this on, this great truth that we have. And Daniel does this. He says, stop sinning and do what is right, or atone, literally, atone for your sins with righteousness. Can we stop for just a moment? How is wicked King Nebuchadnezzar going to atone for his sins with righteousness? How do we? How do we make the things that we've done wrong right? We can't always do that, can we? He couldn't either. We need a Savior. So did he. Now, I don't know at the end and through this chapter whether Nebuchadnezzar's in heaven or not. That's... Uh, thing that he had to settle with the Lord, but he sure speaks like someone who was saved, who had a personal relationship with God, and he was looking forward to that Savior and the cross and what Jesus was going to do. And you and I look backwards to the one who atones for our sins with his righteousness. You see, you and I can never do enough. We'll never be good enough to atone for our sins. Our good is never going to outweigh our bad. But the reality is we trust in one Jesus who was perfect, who took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. That's how we atone. Through faith in Him. So Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar to repentance, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't pay attention. Sometimes we don't. And so he goes a year. Look at the next few verses and here's what uh, the third point on your outline. Just humble yourselves. People who want to really change humble themselves before the Lord humbles us. Because that's what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. It takes an act of God to transform him. And the same is true for you and for me. If we're going to be different, it's going to be because of Jesus. 
and His Spirit working in us. But all these things did happen. His dream came true. It was fulfilled. He literally became crazy. God would go to any length to show Nebuchadnezzar how strong he was. And and Nebuchadnezzar uh, practiced something that psychologists today call uh, boanthropy. He thought he was a cow. That's crazy, isn't it? It's in the Bible. He starts eating grass. He, He is... Removed from humanity, human society. He's out to pasture. And and we have a picture of that, I think, don't we? Look at that. Somebody has, has, uh, some artist made it. That's a weird looking dude, isn't it? He's a weird, it's it's a, a crazy, insanity sort of thing that happens to him. Why? Why does God have to go to those lengths? Why has some of the stuff happened to you and to me in our lives? God will do whatever it takes to give us a message. He's the one to be worshipped. He's the one in control. He's the one we want to yield our lives to because He knows better then we know not only what the future holds, but what it, our peace, our part in the future is. And so 12 months later in verse 29, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in, in Babylon. Kings get in trouble when they walk on the roof of their palace. David did earlier with Bathsheba. You know that. In verse 30, he says, As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Now, that was a great place. They were known for their gold, and and they were known there was a seventh wonder of the ancient world, the the hanging gardens of Babylon. And and he looks out across all of that. The walls of the city were like 320 feet high, and they were 80 uh, feet thick. There were double walls there, and there were 56 miles of a wall around the city. It was a very secure place. And he says, look at this place and look what I've done. And we can so easily fall into that trap. Think about how good our family has turned out and how good a father I am and how great a, a mother Jennifer is and how, how great the church is going. And, and we start and we forget that God is the one that's given us everything we have and all of the resources we have and all the brain power we have and all the energy we have and all of the, the whatever it is that's been worked out in us is a gift of God. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has forgot that God is the one who's raised him up. Daniel's been trying to tell him that all along and he, he doesn't listen until... Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, not on your screen. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. 
and he's driven from human society, and he thinks he's an ox or a cow, and he starts eating grass for seven years. And the kingdom, the empire, all of the known civilization of the world in 600 B.C. was taken from him. All his power, all his prosperity. God was working. God is the one who raises up. And God is the one who disposes of folks. Man proposes and God disposes. The story is told of Napoleon. Remember the, the little Frenchman? The French emperor who wanted to conquer all of Europe. He was the Hitler before Hitler. And, and he's five foot two, all five foot two of them. He's always pictured with his hand in his chest. He looks so, so valiant or, or bold there. He was about to, to go into battle at Waterloo. If you know anything about history, you know Waterloo was his, his nemesis, was his downfall. Napoleon was talking to his commanding officer, and he said uh, the, the cavalry is going to be here, the infantry is going to be here, and the artillery is going to be here. And by nightfall, Wellington, the, the ones that were battling in England, the leader of England, will be at my feet. And his commanding officer said, Remember, man proposes and God disposes. Napoleon leaned over to his commanding officer and said, Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Miserables, he writes about that and says that was the beginning of the downfall. God brought down rain and hail, and his French troops could not maneuver. And at the end of the day, at nightfall, Napoleon was at the feet of Wellington and not Wellington at the feet of Napoleon. God will humble us. And he has. You think about the things in your life. The worst day of your life. This is Napoleon's. I mean, this is Nebuchadnezzar's. Napoleon's worst day is Waterloo. Nebuchadnezzar's worst day is out in that pasture. What's your worst day? Why would Nebuchadnezzar even, even write about this? Because it's his handwriting. It's kind of a, a royal proclamation that we're seeing here. Why would he tell us about that? Because there's a, a new day coming. There's restoration. He starts out prosperous. He goes through adversity and he comes back at the end. Because the end is better. Our, our best days often occur after our our transformation after our salvation. That's point number four. After our even our humiliation. Look in verse 34 of what happens to, to Nebuchadnezzar in this, this passage. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My insanity returned and I... Or my sanity. I said insanity, didn't I? My, my sanity returned. He looked up. He woke up, 
And then he spoke up. And I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and His kingdom is eternal and all the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. He does as He pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of the earth. No one can stop Him or say to Him, What do you mean by doing these things? No one can say to God, What are you doing, God? And when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom. And even, listen to this, an even greater honor than before. Was he more prosperous? Was he more powerful? Probably not. But was he more honorable? He knew his place beneath the Most High God. And he was praising him. In verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven. As far as I know, that's the only place in Scripture, that phrase. We, we think about Jesus. We think about God. He's the King over all. He's the King of Heaven. We sing about that. But here, Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan, powerful king, is the first one who declares that. And all his acts are just and true. And he is able to humble the proud. You see, the key to change is humility. Is an understanding that you know you need change. That you can't do it on your own. That you admit to God you've made a mess of it. That you're a sinner. And faith goes along with that. Believing that you can actually be different and change. Not because of what you've done or who you are, but because of what Jesus has done and is doing in you and transforming you. You believe what he did on the cross was for you. And you choose to follow him. Just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation, Just As I Am. And I'll remind you that that's how God receives us. That He doesn't necessarily want us to change to accept us into His kingdom. He receives us just as we are. But He loves us too much to leave us that way. He's in the process, even now, of changing us. I want you to hear about the story behind that song we were about to sing. Years ago in London, a great singer, her name was Charlotte Elliott, was singing. And, and in the crowd, there were several important people gathered. One of them was a, a famous preacher named Caesar Milan. And he heard her sing in this wonderful concert in London. And he, after the concert, came up to her and said these words, I thought as I listened to you tonight how tremendously the cause of Christ would be benefited if your talents were dedicated to His cause. You know, young lady, you are as much a sinner as the drunkard in the ditch. In the sight of God, 
But because of Jesus Christ, I'm glad to tell you, His blood can cleanse you from all sin. Now, this beautiful, wonderful singer stomps off, is offended by this preacher. He said, I, I mean no offense, but he had the courage to confront in love. He says, I mean no offense by that, but I'll be praying that, the, that God's Spirit convict you. And he did. That night, she couldn't sleep. Two o'clock in the morning, she wakes up. She takes out a notepad and pencil, and she writes these words. Just as I am, without one plea, with tears streaming down her face. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And millions have come during that invitation hymn. That's what Billy Graham used most often in his crusades, just as I am. Because God humbled that singer then. What will God do through you? You see, we have this task that Paul tells Timothy to pass on to another generation in 2 Timothy 2.22. So who are you going to pass that on to? If you already know that God has changed your life and is transforming you, who are you going to pass that on to? If you don't know that and you've never been changed and you don't have the power, the Spirit of God in you, today can be your day when you in humility say, I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner far from God. And you in faith believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin and wants you to be part of His kingdom. And you this day can choose follow him. Will you? Will you be changed? Will you be different? Will you be transformed? Let's stand together. Pray as we stand and sing and the worship team comes. If we sing just as I am, I wonder if you would would see yourself in that light that, that what Jesus did wasn't for people who had everything together. What he did, he did for sinners like you and me. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. He showed us his great love for us. He demonstrated that by giving his life. So you come to him just as you are. You've already done that. I wonder if you would remember the time you did that. And I wonder if you would think about somebody in these moments that you have been praying for or that you'd start praying for, that you'd start investing in, inviting. There are people in this room today who have been prayed over, encouraged, loved. Because we want to see God continue to transform lives like He's changed our lives. Let's ask Him. Father, we pray.
in these moments that you'll save people who humble themselves and and come to you asking for you to be their Savior. Father, in these moments, we, we pray that for us of, who've done that long ago, that we would continue to, to be about your business. We give ourselves to the most important thing we could give ourselves to in this world. Pleasing you. Living for you. And not selfishly for ourselves. Lord, change us. Change our hearts. Give us a heart like yours. Cares more for people than for stuff. It cares more for advancing your kingdom than our own agendas. Lord, help us. Empower us by your spirit. Because we can't change apart from you, Lord. But with you, we can be new. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen. You respond as God leads you. If you've never made a public profession of faith, I encourage you today could be the day where you say yes to Jesus. And if you've done that, you think about who can you impact? How can you change this world? It's not a grand, some out there kind of thing. It's the 8 to 15 God's placed in your sphere of influence are you working God's plan filling his great commission doing what he's called us to do let's sing together